welcome back to the Michigan Bros Grow Show. And this one, we sat down with Red Setter Farms. We kind of jumped into our conversation and didn't do our introduction until about eight minutes in. So here's a quick intro for you. Enjoy. So I'm really bummed that I missed out on seeing you at the Clio Cultivation, man. Everybody was like, dude, as soon as you left, man, Red Setter Farm showed up. I was like, God damn it, man. So I'm really glad to be able to sit down with you. And I want to say thank you for always being so supportive. I've seen you in the chat multiple, multiple times, and you're always like active and you're positive. You're exactly what we set out to talk about when we started this show. So I appreciate you. You know, you guys sparked my interest. Uh, you, you're kind of one of those shows that I was kind of set out in search for when I'm sitting around the trim table or just, you know, hustling around the grow room, whatever, which is pretty much a day in, day out job. I don't like to call it a job, but, you know, <clears throat> I love it, man. Uh, you guys keep me entertained, keep me busy. I want to say I've been listening to probably since the first show, uh, maybe the second show, and have recaptured them all. Of course, you know I'm I'm a big podcaster as well as you know my love for music and stuff. But definitely a big podcaster. Um, a lot of trimming, a lot of trimming. <laughs> yeah, we know the feeling, brother. I was just trimming right before we started recording this. Yeah, that's what you were saying, man. And it's funny because I was, you know, pretty much doing that most of my day as well. And fortunately, I was able to get some food and a nap in, but hopefully, some fucking finger hash. You know, I try to limit myself on the. I don't try to limit myself on the hash. I should say. I just tend to not smoke hash that often. Uh, sometimes I enjoy it because it keeps the bowl burning. But my thing is really joints. I'm an ex-cigarette smoker uh smoked cigarettes for like 20 years um like two to three packs a day at some points and so you know i'm i'm kind of a, a pre-roll smoker i'm a joint smoker you know i uh i roll them up i enjoy the experience of doing that every now and then i'll throw a little key for a little bit of hash in there but you know for the most part it's uh lately as of lately anyways it's been some uh high cbd blends kind of nice that's really surprising coming from you because you dropped a bunch of hash on us at the uh, clio cup yeah you guys ran into uh at a fortunate time because i had just washed you know i washed a bunch of trim <clears throat> it was a good time and so that's kind of what i'm sitting on right now is my uh my hash stock you know um so it's a good time of year this is this is about the time of year that i usually stay save everything up from the winter time and the, in the spring and then i do a nice good hash run and and i and i do it that way i save it up because uh, i try to run single strain hash i don't try to mix everything together and i run perpetual gardens and i run multi-crops and uh multi-strain crops uh, so it's you know you really got to be able to it's hard to load up, I should say, bulk trim, you know, when you're dealing with, you, you know, you need a pound or something, you know, or 15 ounces of something. You got to throw it together really fast and try to <clears throat> put it through some bubble bags and hope you can get a, at least some kind of a, a return on it, you know. So when you do your perpetual, do you have to freeze your trim for a couple of runs to get enough? You know, I haven't had the chance to invest in a like a, a deep freezer or anything big, so... I try to just cure it the best I can, keep it out of sunlight, keep it sealed up and in a cool area and uh, hope that it doesn't uh, deteriorate on me, honestly. That's probably where a lot of that, uh, you know, Spartan says that it's uh, it's good night-night 
cash and i think that that's uh probably because it might be maybe a little uh elevated in cbns it might be uh slowly behind it. i don't know i'd have to i'd have to get my hash tested again so it's been a while i got it uh potency tested the last time i did a run which was probably last summer so <clears throat> at least i have kind of the, those numbers um i would imagine that that's probably where that's coming from yeah it's probably just uh it's the oxygen, right? Oxidizing it and degrading it to CBN or something like that. Degrading is probably the wrong word, but I think it's I'm not sure. It, but it converts. Degrading. THC converts over to CBN. Yeah, yeah, it converts. Word, That's yeah. better. Converting, yes. Um, and you know the that dust star seems to have that kind of sway. Anyways, I've always had that uh that feeling. I can kind of smoke it during the day. I can smoke it during the nighttime. It won't keep me up. It's always been a real good hybrid. Uh, I don't want to call it a sativa. I'd like to call it just like a good all day around type of strain. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I missed, you, you guys might've missed out too. I, I didn't bring the dementia. I sure about that stuff too. That, it was a really good heady one. If anybody likes, you know, I guess uh, sativa type highs. I try to stay away from that sativa indica term, but more daytime, I guess, or heady high. So after it comes out of the bags, what is, do you have any more processes after that? You know, I would like to get a freeze dryer one day. Uh, I don't think I make enough of it right now to really utilize it enough. But uh, so I lay it really thin and then I put it in a, uh, in a curing, curing conditions, really low humidity, really low temperature. And I, I press it in between a, I think they're like 25 micron um mesh screens um and i in between some paper towels and i get as much water out of it as i can and then i and then i let it sit and open open dry for you know a week or so just kind of like i do with flour pretty much the same conditions and try not to seal it up and once it's you know ready it, <clears throat> I, I probably should have graded it i didn't get a chance to really grade it usually if you're if you're not gonna run it through a freeze dryer you want to like Graded over maybe a thicker mesh, maybe something like a, uh, um, I don't want to say a noodle strainer, yeah, maybe like a, a a screen, like a window screen or something, a type of noodle strainer. Um, you could screen it over that, and then you'll really get a good a good dry from doing it that way. From what I hear, how did you get into hash? <clears throat> um. Oh man, you know, just wanting to do something different with my, with my trim and geez, man, it, over the years, I've always had like a, a fond interest in just the stuff that comes off on your fingers. Right. And I'm like, what's going on there? I'm getting all this, this stickiness on my fingers and let's go way back to this one. And, and, and you roll it up and you get this little bead of you know, we'll call it hash, we'll call it a charis or something, right? And, uh, and so uh, you light it on fire, and it kind of burns like an incense. And that's kind of where my interest in hash kind of came from. But um, <clears throat> I don't want to say I'm a professional hash maker by any means. I've, uh, my, uh, my experience with hash goes way back to a, a, a bucket of probably my first run of growing back, uh, you know, probably 2008, 2009, I did run hash. Um, I made bubble hash for the first time and I did not use bubble bags. I used, uh, I don't, I can't remember what I think I might use like 
<clears throat> sort of coffee filters and did some some weird straining and uh I'm, maybe some cheesecloth and coffee filters type type of deal and I don't think I got much return. I don't think I knew much of what I was doing either, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. That reminds me of when I started growing. And uh, I think since you mentioned it, let's rewind a little bit and get an intro of who you are, Red Setter, and where we can find you. And then also how you got into growing since you got it started with uh, how you got into hash. So we'll go into how you got into growing here and uh, proceed from here. <clears throat> Sounds great, man. Um, yeah, man. Uh, Red Setter Farm. Uh, we're a caregiver. I'm a caregiver and patient service. I say we. Um, my fiance is a huge help, and myself. She's definitely a huge part of Red Setter Farm. She's a caregiver herself. Her and myself. Um, kind of take care of uh, the bulk of everything that's going on here. Um, you know, I started. I have probably a 20 year experience with the cannabis plant. Cannabis and I go back. Uh, so I was probably, you know, like 13 or 14 years old in the punk rock music scene and things like that. Uh, skateboarding and rollerblading and uh, just overall, uh, you know, I think it was more recreational. It was definitely more recreational at the time. Um, I kind of had a, uh, a, I was interested in the way that caffeine made me feel and, you know, had a couple sips of beer, a couple sips of alcohol here and there, and maybe chase the the liquor closet once or twice and just kind of interested. And so I kind of got into, kind of got into smoking weed a little bit. Uh, but as far as growing goes, you know, I, uh, I definitely popped the seed. It was some bag seed back in probably we'll say 2000. Uh, no, I'm sorry. 1999. Yeah. This is my 20th summer now, 20 years ago um that happened and that was uh that was kind of the intro that i had with cannabis but as far as uh caregiving goes and the way that we grow our plants now i'm more of a uh, synthetic salt grower i'm kind of new to organics although uh i do grow some plants outside and the ones that i do grow outside are in what i consider a organic scenario um they're in my backyard I'm not sure, you know, the way that the uh, farmers who owned the lots prior, uh, I'm not sure the what, you know, how they treated the fields, but, you know, from my understanding, it's pretty organic. Um, but really outside, uh, kind of just learning when I grow out, outdoors. Everything indoors is uh, what I've what I've done my studying on, and that goes back many, many years. YouTube, YouTube's a wonderful source. Um, man, I. I think, you know, people like Medi Cropper and uh, even the last couple of years, like listen, like GrowTube and stuff like that. I'm, I've learned a lot of a lot of good tips, tricks and just, you know, uh, respect for uh, for cannabis in itself. But uh, but as a uh, I don't want to call it. a Yeah, let's call it a hobby. You know, as a hobby, you know, cannabis and I, we go back for a, a very long time. You sound like a younger version of me. I started skating and cannabis is always around there. And for sure, man. And that's how it gets started. It's part of that scene, you know, and, uh, you know, I definitely got to give a shout out to the Detroit rollerblading scene. You know, they've uh, the guys at, uh, you know, Motortown Classic and Delta City Open. They got me into getting my medical card in 2012. 
They woke me up out of a dead sleep, showed up at my door, pounded on my door. They said, yo, get in the car. We're going to renew and you're going to go get your card. And we did that. <laughs> so shout out to those guys, Motortown Classic and Delta City Open Crew. And that's uh, uh, actually uh, my mentor is part of that crew. The reason I, I do what I do is definitely part of that crew. Before we leave the punk rock and the skating, you got to tell me what kind of deck or what company you used to ride and what kind of music you listened to back then. Well, if you take it way back, it was probably like, uh, it was probably Birdhouse. That was probably middle school. But, you know, uh, I was into BMXing for a long time also and snowboarding, Burton, um, all kinds of different BMX bikes, uh, standard, uh, Haro and things like that, but rollerblading, uh, and I still rollerblade to today. Um, you know, I've rocked uh, razors and rollerblade uh, brand and lots of different, uh, lots of different things. But um, the the skate scene as a whole, uh, not to generalize any specific, you know, action sport, you know, is is an awesome scene. Totally. Yeah, the cannabis scene and the old classic skate scene seem to kind of be along the same lines to me. It's something about, you know, taking a couple of good tokes with some real heady stuff or, you know, what I really used to like to do is on like a snow on a chairlift or something, take a couple of hits off the one hitter and free ride the whole way down. And it's a great experience. You know, it really makes you enjoy, uh, you know, nature and being outside and you're Definitely, usually outside, unless it's wintertime and you're cooped up in a skate park or something. But even still, it's a great experience, you know. So tell me about your garden, because from what I see online, it looks amazing. This uh, this garden's pretty new. It's been in operation. Uh, well, we're going on, going on probably like let's say twenty months, and it's been a slow process. Uh, you know, I run I run a perpetual, and I also run a a day night with two rooms so you know um, i'm running six lights during the day uh on a 12 and when those shut off uh the next 12 i'm running six more lights in another room these rooms are about 16 by 16 feet they're set up to hold nine lights each but i'm only running two just or i'm sorry i'm only running six right now just based on budget but um this it's a new new room um new facility I'm used to growing at a much smaller scale, more of like a three light perpetual, which is far more difficult, to be honest with you. Um, if you're going to run perpetual and you're only going to run one res, don't do it. <laughs> you know, I'll say that because I did that for a long time. I had three lights on just one res and uh, it and most of my crops, I, I don't want to say that they failed, but they definitely weren't what they could have been. So what's going on now is uh, I run I run two reservoirs in each room, and each of those reservoirs runs uh, we'll call it we'll call it a single crop we'll call it a mono crop, um, a multi strain crop. And let's see here I do run VPD I definitely have my my temperatures are. Uh, at nighttime, they stick up in probably the 76, 78 range. They don't really fluctuate too much. Probably 76, 78 air temperature during the day with uh, with my leaf temperature sitting around 82. I keep my CO2 pretty low, you know, compared to maybe some other growers, but that's just because I don't run my salts too high. Uh, I am a synthetic grower. You know, I will, I will announce that, you know, coming. Uh, that's kind of one of the things that I 
I mentioned a sequence uh, when we got rolling here was, uh, you know, I'd like to maybe uh, talk about synthetics or briefly or represent maybe the synthetic side. Uh, I feel it's almost out of place. You guys got a lot of organics going on in this. No, we need the balance. We need the balance, brother. So for sure, this is like sequences show. Yeah, the balance is good. And, you know, we want to rattle off questions, you know, or whatever on the hydro setup and learn how the how it all works. So uh, proceed with explaining how your dual res works. Yeah, so um, so I run I, I run each reservoir as if as if it were a single crop, you know, and and, and when I get when I get going, uh, I want to keep it low PPM. It's usually about six hundred, and I'm talking day one of flower. Uh, when I veg, I veg probably just like any other any other uh you know synthetic or salt grower does or hydro grower does you know i I keep my ppms between probably 650 and and 850 i usually utilize some runoff because my pots are a little bit smaller um um depending on how long they're vegging because sometimes uh they get backed up you don't want your salts to build up in there uh and by backed up i mean uh if, if the time frame that you're vegging let's say you're shooting for a six or eight week veg and you accidentally go 10 you want to make sure you're giving yourself a little bit of flush here and there or else your salts are really going to build up and you're going to have some issues early on in veg or i'm sorry early on in flower now Um, do you when you say flush do you mean with just straight water ph or are you using some kind of agent for that no no don't take me literally when i say flush i'm sorry i'm using it like maybe a lower pm than what i normally would and i'm just uh running a little bit of waste out because i normally don't waste it's um i i i'm probably gonna get backlash for saying this but i don't run much waste um and it's kind of maybe a uh an experienced technique the uh you know if i was going to consult somebody i would say definitely run waste run probably 10 percent waste um if you're going to do a drain to waste let me start there it is all drained to waste uh, i don't recirculate so um I agree. Mine's the same way, though. I run very little waste myself. And I also advise for people to run more than I run myself because it is gives you a little bit more margin for error. It, it gives you more margin for error. Well, if you're running a little bit of waste, it definitely gives you more margin for error because you're, you're not going to build up those salts. Your pH isn't going to drop way down. Uh, those are definitely some things that I've experienced. Um, and, you know, especially when running into a new facility, you know, take it back to being in a new facility. It took me almost these two years just to dial in uh, my grow. So, um, you know, the first probably six runs and that's, and that's, you know, with two reservoirs. So that's really like 12, I'm going to call it like 12 runs, you know, my first like six to 12 runs, you know, each run being a half of the room. Um, yeah, uh, it took me a really long time to dial it in. I, I was like, all right, is my CO2 too, too high? Am I running too high of newts? Because the way that I used to run here in my my three light was I'd, I'd run waste because plants were always in different phases of life. And so my timer was just at like a minute. It was always just running like a minute or two minutes. I'm sorry, my pump timer. So I was always feeding for like one minute or feeding for two minutes. 
And if I was feeding for two minutes and the plants were, you know, later in their flowering stage and they were accepting the water and, you know, I'd have a little bit of runoff. Well, the plants that were at the beginning of their flowering stage, I was wasting like crazy on those plants because, you know, they had just a smaller root zone or smaller root capacity. So, you know, it's uh, it definitely a different experience, different dialing it in. When I was running with a lot of waste, I was able to have my my PPMs or my EC up in like the 1250, 1300 range. And I was getting, you know, probably one and a half to two pounds, a single ended uh, HPS. Um, I was getting great yields when I came out to my new facility and I started running under double ended, double ended HPS. Um, I was trying to do the same uh, parts per million, same EC, and I was getting around a half a pound a light, and I wasn't too happy with that, and it was barely paying the bills. So, <laughs> you know, you really have to uh, figure some things out, what's going on, what's going wrong, and and I did. It was definitely a pH issue. Um, it was uh, it was a high salt issue, and uh, you know, I I had to get CO two in the rooms. That was kind of an issue at first as well. When the first couple runs, you know, that was an obvious mistake. Um, I didn't have a CO2 burner in there either. So that, that you have to have, you have to supplement with CO2. I'm running sealed rooms. Um, if I get down to really the dynamics of the rooms, it's sealed space. Um, like I said, I run my VPD and, uh, and now with being able to do that, I've noticed that I can keep my PPMs at about 750 and if i go any higher without running any waste i will burn and i will get negative effects so if i keep my 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 ec at about 1.0 with very minimal waste everything seems to be pretty good so far so good as you can see um you know on the instagram post around uh what co2 level are you running so we're running roughly the same setup as far as description goes i'm hand watering the cocoa but um, synthetics and sealed room and CO2 and all of that stuff. I, I don't know if there's anything to this, but I almost think that there's a correlation between CO2 and maybe what you feed your plants. Um, I've seen, I've seen what other growers run real high parts per million, and they're also running real high CO2. Um, and I've noticed that when I run real high CO2, when running lower parts per million, I can almost get CO2 burn. So I keep my CO2 around what I keep my parts per million. It's around seven, 800. Yeah, so the higher your CO2 gets, the faster your plant's metabolism will go, so the more it'll want to eat. So that's where that correlation will come from. But yeah, seven or 800 yeah, right, sounds yep. pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I keep it there. And and you know what? I save a lot on uh, on gas. It, with the sealed setup, I, I don't think my CO2 burner really kicks off that often. Um, I've gone in there. I'll, I'll go in there right before my lights kick on. So they've been running, you know, dark cycle for you know, 11 and a half, almost 12 hours. And my CO2 levels will be at almost 800. And I have my CO2 burner set. I have, I have my CO2 controller, I'm sorry, uh, set at like almost the minimum setting is set at about 500 ppms. And so when it kicks off, being in such a small space, I kind of oversize my CO2 burner it jumps up the CO2 to about that 800 that I'm looking for. And then it sits. And when it drops, um, 
by the time the lights kick off. I think that there's some kind of a, a metabolic, there's something metabolizing in the root zone, or maybe, uh, maybe it has something to do with the, um, the microbes that I might feed. Um, but being a salt setup, you know, I don't have, it's not an organic setup. There's not a lot of fungal things going on. So I'm not sure where the CO2 comes from, but the CO2 seems to rise during the dark cycle. I don't know if you guys know anything about that. But. I think that's probably a byproduct of your plants just not using CO2. So the CO2 that's um, in the room is going to go up, right? Because your plants aren't sucking it up anymore. So whatever was being admitted by the burner or whatever is no longer being absorbed. So I think that that's what's causing that subtle increase. Yeah, I don't, I don't almost, know if that makes sense, but it, it totally does. It, it does. It does make sense. But, you know, it's um, it's something that I I don't mind because, uh, you know, when the lights kick on, I'm already up in the eight, eight, nine hundred range of CO2 and my CO2 burner doesn't need to kick on right when the lights come on. So it kind of helps out. Yeah, it helps keep you from getting a big temperature shock. Uh, I have heard that your plants may want a little bit lower CO2, though, during the nighttime. So I'm not sure if I am getting any adverse effects. I guess I would have to. Yes, some people do exhaust it. Yeah, some people exhaust yeah. it and have day-night controllers on their CO2 um, regulators so to make sure that they're turned off at nighttime and stuff like that. Yeah, that's something I had originally built into the exi- built into the design as I was going to do more of a uh, uh, more of like a, a passive air where I where I'd blow the air out and, and duct it out and exhaust it out of the rooms and kind of passively intake some air and only exhaust it out when necessary. But I didn't really go that route. I just kind of sealed them up mainly for uh, temperature control. I thought that uh, temperature control was a little bit more important. Um, being in a building that, you know, uh, it's basically an open space. It's a commercial building and inside the, you know, I have two rooms that are built inside of a larger room basically. And inside this larger room, you know, there's ice on the floor. And then you walk into these rooms that are just completely tropical, you know, and there's only about four inches worth of material in between. So, you know, you really got to make sure that the temperatures are maintained in these rooms. So I, I, I focused more on insulating, sealing, uh, sealing off the, the rooms. Um, yeah, it's always quite the experience when I'm walking to my flower room in the wintertime and I go from the sub zero temps to the 82 degrees and, 70 percent humidity that is my flower room oh i love it man you're blowing out you're blowing out steam one second and then you step inside and it's almost like everything just uh starts to evaporate right off of you you know it's great it's a wonderful feeling i know that the plants live in a better better environment than i do that's all i know about that all the time you know uh, i got a funny story when i first moved into my house uh back in i want to say 2003 13 2014 and i first started uh caregiving i got my first patient back in 2013 and coincidentally i started was starting my first grow around that same time and i didn't have an air conditioner on my house uh the air condition the air conditioner was i'm sorry the house was equipped with air conditioning the air conditioner did not work and the rooms that i was growing in i didn't put in any kind of you know you know single split air conditioners or anything like that 
I just ran, uh, I just ducted my hoods and that was it. And my rooms were like a hundred degrees and my house was 90 degrees. And it was just, it was incredibly poor living conditions. <laughs> that's for sure. All for the, all for the plant. You know what? I don't even think the plants actually got it that good that, that run either. So, <laughs> but then after that, I did start using just, uh, you know, those little like what, $300 roll around in your room, air conditioners. Those are great. No specific brand. But I do recommend if you are going to use one of those for air conditioning, I'll just kind of divert this topic a little bit to use the kind that uh, that that have an in and an out and don't just exhaust. They actually have an intake because that way you can have somewhat of a sealed room and you don't just exhaust all of your stinky air out into your uh, neighbor's window. Definitely a good tip. Yeah, I've seen that before. But uh, the one that I have actually is, you know, coincidentally, is not that kind. And so I have it run through an inline carbon filter so that it does not stink. So it goes through an inline carbon filter and it being, you know, a little bit hotter air, you want to change a carbon filter a little bit more often. But that's how I mitigate that kind of smell, you know, for any home growing. Thankfully, here in Michigan, it's a little bit less of an issue for us, but we still had to be conscientious of our neighbors especially if we're living in town yeah if you live in suburbs subdivisions and things like that you know i know that it's legal nowadays but you still don't want any hassle i guess you know i sidetracked way off of the hydroponics topic i'm sorry about that let's uh dude that's what we do oh i know you know i'm sitting here and uh and i i wanted to get on to uh to heating i mean it's it's definitely getting cold out our nights are uh what in the 50s right now powdery mildew is a possibility so it's kind of what was what was on my mind i just want to throw that out there turn on your heaters make sure your rooms are insulated if they are not sealed up i guess light your rooms at night light your rooms at night man that's that's something i kind of did from day one you know um definitely saves on energy too for sure I'm not sure if it's uh, after 7 p.m., I think it is. Yeah, it depends on your power company, but some people have peak rate power plans and stuff where during the day your energy cost goes up and at night it goes down. So you actually save money by growing at nighttime. I was going to say that if you do that, you also have to realize that you're making a more normal temperature. Definitely, definitely do that. If you're, uh, especially if you're using outside air. Um, if you're, if you're bringing in any kind of outside air, you, you want to be bringing in cold, cold air when your lights are on, you don't want that cold, cold air hitting your plants when your lights are off. That's for sure. No, that's definitely a recipe for PM. Ooh, man. Yeah. So since day one, that's kind of something I've always, I've always been on the 10 to 10, you know, evening schedule, 10, 10 PM to 10 AM is usually what I'll do because then if, if you, if you're an early riser and you get up at six, seven in the morning, you got a little bit of time to get, to get your, uh, your work done before your lights go off. If you, uh, it, you know, if you work a late schedule, you know, you're able to get in your room a little bit, of, a little bit before you go to bed. So I've always found 10 to 10 seems to be a good time frame. Now for someone at home that's saying, damn, I really want to do that, but I've got my lights set up for the daytime. Can you help them transition to maybe a 10 to 10 schedule if they've got something in flower? 
Yeah, you know, I've actually I've actually had that same issue. Um, and what I do is I just I do an hour a day. I switch it back an hour a day. Um, you just keep it keep it low. You shouldn't have you shouldn't have much stress. You just kind of switch it about it maybe an hour a day. It'll it'll take a little bit of time. Or if you're in the beginning of your cycle, you might be able to just flip it and not worry about it. If you're towards the end of your cycle, do it slow. Maybe do it slower than an hour a day. Maybe do it a half hour a day if you're able to. When I had to do this, I did it half an hour a day, and I always added to the dark cycle to move the, the day. That's a good point about the dark cycle. Definitely. For that one listener out there that is not going to do that, err on the side of fucking around and increasing the dark cycle rather than trying to increase the light cycle if you're in flower or you're going to create a revegging situation. Yeah, you definitely don't want to create the reveg. I I dealt with that here and uh, well that was more of an outdoor situation but you never want to deal with that that's for sure. I had a coworker today say Hey, I was outside looking at my plants and the buds are really, really big. But then when I opened them up, there were all kinds of seeds in them. Rip. <laughs> Already, huh? Already, yeah. Pollen is in the air, man. Tis the season. I, you know, I hope he's not one of my neighbors, unfortunately. I got one male plant that I'm leaving out in the outdoor garden right now. It's a, but it's a high CBD hemp, supposed to be low THC. And uh, I got two other females of the same species uh sitting out there that i'm you know hopefully trying to maybe get an f2 off of but i have uh granddaddy purple sitting out there and uh dj shorts blueberry which just started flowering and i'm afraid it's not going to make it um but i don't have any covers or anything on any of my plants so we'll see uh they can't really be moved either but uh, the granddaddy purple, I'm kind of hoping for seed. I'm hoping for a high CBD granddaddy purple type of uh, plant because the granddaddy purple has been an excellent medicine, uh, you know, for myself, for my patients, um, friends, family, has a great backstory, um, has kind of a personal backstory. But the, you know, I had a patient that had a, uh, he had a, some kind of a muscle spasm in his eyes and his muscle spasms were so bad that he couldn't drive at times. And, you know, most strains would not work. And he asked for purple Kush specifically. I couldn't get my hands on purple Kush, but I did come across this granddaddy. And when he tried the granddaddy, the granddaddy worked and it stopped his muscle spasms. And, uh, and and that's when I kind of realized how medicinal cannabis really can be. Hey, I've always since, you know, taking it way back, you know, to the skater days, I've always thought the cannabis was medicinal. Um, it it just it made the day brighter. You know, it was it's definitely more of a uh, of a of a life enhancing mechanism than it is something that, that puts it down. Um, you know, it's. There's a lot of addiction and uh, uh, drug abuse and things like that in in my background and in my in my family and alcoholism and things like that. Where a lot of those substances it, are, they're very depressing and there's a lot of depression that also runs you know in the family. So it, cannabis for me has always seemed to be more of a mechanism to to help those things. And Granddaddy Purple was just 
is one of those uh one of those strains that definitely helped those things and when uh when my patient told me that that was like the strain that helped him and it worked um i was more than happy to share the genetics with him and i eventually uh uh you know um he 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 was able to give me up as his caregiver and grow his own medicine and that's kind of one of the great things you know i'm not looking to hold on to any specific patient forever i want to be able to hold on to maybe a, a patient and and hopefully be able to teach them something about cannabis and eventually you know lead the horse to water and and you know teach a man to fish man it's great and 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 now he grows his own and you know for a lifetime he'll forever have have that cut and and be able to uh provide himself with that medicine you know that as helps. the as the resident patient person here that's always something that i beat the drum about is the fact that if if i have a uh caregiver that has a genetic that works for me i can really need to make sure that i keep that and that's why dispensaries are so hit or miss is they might not have that same cut or that same supplier that same strain when you go back next time so you know that's very important and i think that's an awesome thing that you basically taught a man to fish yeah leading a horse to water is definitely the wrong analogy i i taught him to fish man um and he's going to be able to grow that plant uh and you know he he does it incredibly small scale under a blurple light well the last time i saw him it was a blurple light and he was getting the best flowers that i had ever and he taught me something about this plant because I, it took me years to be able to get this plant right um and when I saw the flowers stacked under this blurple light, I was like, all right, this thing needs less light. That's, ex I'm, that's what I was doing wrong is giving it. And I don't, I don't want to say that I was doing anything wrong because I was getting amazing results, but it was stacking weird. And, and you notice when, when uh, you're unsure if this is just uh, genetics, is it, um, is it something that I'm feeding it? You know, is my pH, everything else in the room looks good. You know, what's going on with this plant? um and you know all other conditions are the same including you know moisture um so you know it, it turned out to be light levels so what i do with this plant now is i don't go above you know above 70 percent, 75 percent when i run this plant and now it's starting to stack better now it's starting to uh swell more you know when it comes into late flower i'm getting I'm getting even better smells off of it that were already fruity and and floral and amazing. I'm and you know it's just coming down and you know what it was is giving it full thousand watts is not what the plant needed and I that's just genetic because the rest of the plants in the room it's what they need and that's the hard part about running multi strain uh, perpetual. You know you gotta you gotta know your genetics for sure what about that strain makes it particularly worth it for you to go through the trouble to run your lights at less power and stuff like that um the the backstory on it it was it was given to me by my mentor um and i'll probably forever forever he's uh he's my best man um my best friend and uh it was given to him by his mentor who uh who is also uh was a good friend of ours um and unfortunately a couple years ago he lost his life to fentanyl so there it has it has kind of like a sentimental hold of value 
it was one of his favorite strains and the fact that it was so medicinal to my one patient it just says a lot and it kind of makes me want to keep it around and just learn the plant so that that kind of has the is in short the backstory and why i keep it yeah cool so i wanted to wrap around and go back to the uh to the automated watering setup and i wanted to ask you uh how many times do you water a day? Do you start watering multiple times a day at some point in your cycle? So let's let's start when lights kick on. Uh, lights kick on and I give the plants about a five minute wake up before I start watering. And the water, um, like I said, I only, I'm not gonna give you a specific amount of time because it changes throughout the flowering cycle. Generally, when I put the plants into flower on day one, they're getting about 25 seconds worth of uh worth of white and it that's gonna totally vary on pot size and everything but that's how much my my drain is and they're getting that five times a day about every three hours um four times five five times a day about i'm sorry four times a day every three hours yeah there we go that equals 12. um so they're getting it once uh right right about five minutes after the lights come on and then uh Three hours later, same same frequency. Actually, uh, I, I fluctuated about five seconds. It gets about you know five seconds less, and then the third watering it gets five seconds more. The fourth watering, so it kind of staggers. And I only, I don't. There's no science behind it. It's just kind of me trying to prevent uh, maximum amounts of run. Really, I'm just really trying to control runoff. Uh, I try and avoid uh, flushing these salts down the drain. I'm trying to be as uh, conscientious of being a synthetic grower as possible because uh, I, I do respect uh, organic growing and things like that. But, you know, it, at the same time, uh, you know, it was a big investment and I have to kind of focus on yield right now. So. I have a question. Um, you're talking about you run it for 25 seconds. Uh, did you happen to mention what size pump that is versus what size line so I can get kind of a general ballpark for a listener on how much you think that you're feeding at a given time? Yeah, because that that's all going to vary depending on oh man, all these variables. So let's let's start at uh let's start with the uh, reservoir, right? It's a, it's a it's a recycling bin. It's a tote. You can get them for about 100 bucks and it's almost 100 gallons. So you might save yourself a couple hundred bucks at the hydro store trying to get a hundred gallon uh, reservoir. So I use I use a hundred gallon. Uh, it's ninety six gallon toter. Uh, it's on wheels. You're able to wheel it around so you can clean it. Uh, Where did you source that from? Home Depot. You can source them from Lowe's. You could probably source them from Menards. Definitely a box store buy. So that's ninety six gallons. From there, um, let's go to Harbor Freight, and you can get yourself a. 1600 gallon per hour pump uh they're green they're kind of something they're it's kind of like a sump pump without a automatic uh float valve and what these sump pumps will do is it'll take your res all the way down to like a quarter of an inch of water so you can almost be water free when you want to clean these things out um <clears throat> great pump 1600 gallons per hour uh comes with like a hose fitting you could run a, a regular three quarter inch uh, hose out of that if you wanted to, but uh, I run it into a 25 psi pressure regulator. 
And again, uh, we're at the box store. Uh, Lowe's has this brand called uh, Mr. Landscaper, M-I-S-T-E-R, Landscaper. And uh, what these pressure regulators will do is it'll make sure that you're not uh, blowing up the, the emitters, which are also the same brand. And that's kind of why I use their regulator. I figure if I'm using their emitters, I might as well use their regulator. Um, and their emitters are your usual quarter inch drip emitters that come off your spaghetti lines, quarter inch spaghetti lines. Uh, from the spaghetti lines, those go to a, uh, a manifold, which is like an octobubbler, is a, is a typical brand. Um, usually those manifolds have some kind of a regulation in them. There's some kind of like a diaphragm. Um, <clears throat> I take those out. I do a complete open flow because I'm already being regulated at the pump with the 25 PSI regulator. Um, and I also, <clears throat> so if you go below your octobubbler, you're on the riser. And uh, I don't do any kind of a val uh, ball valve or anything on my risers. I do a, a single ball valve um, off the main hose line that goes from the pump to a closed loop around my uh, my tray setup, you know. So let's say the home user's got a four by four. You know, you come from the pump and you do a, uh, you're gonna run a PVC line all the way closing the loop around your tray and then your risers are gonna come off of that. I've found that I get more equal pressure that way than it being a straight line down your row with your riser and then it's stopping at the end of your row. Um, I've, you know, just from experience, I found better pressure results with that closed loop. Um, <laughs> key advice, make sure that you have a back, some kind of a backflow prevention, um, anti-siphon prevention device on there. Uh, you, you can get anti-siphon valves. Uh, it, you know, when your pump cuts off and your water's flowing from your res and your res is th three, four feet high off the ground and your pump, you know, your hose goes from the, that level down and it's draining. When your pump kicks off, your reservoir is going to drain, you know, the siphon effect's going to take over and your reservoir is going to drain. So you need something to kick off that siphon. Uh, you can, you can spend a couple bucks and get an anti-siphon valve. I just drill a hole in the side of my hose in in the reservoir before it leaves the reservoir and i just anchor in a little uh, uh quarter inch elbow so that when the pump kicks on you got a little bit of water that spews out that quarter inch elbow it kind of recirculates your res for you but at the same time when your pump kicks off that's going to open uh an airway and allow air to get back into your that's genius i like cheap man cheap is good Cheap, man. You already got one laying around. <laughs> um, in, in that's pretty it, basically. So those drip emitters that I'm talking about that I get from those, you can even go the cheap route there, too, and, and just go a couple of elbows and a couple of tees right off your quarter-inch line and, and get yourself a nice cheap, uh, cheap spread that spreads out across your pot. I do suggest two at least two drip emitters per pot um you know just in case one clogs one fails you can also uh you know if you got a you can also shut one off if if one plant's getting too 
too much water. You can add a drip emitter if you, you know, if your one's not getting enough water. So and that's kind of how I like to do that. Sometimes I like to have, I use the octobubblers um, and you can just have extra drip lines just laying around. And then if you need to toss one on there because you're not getting enough flow, just toss one on there and open it up. So let's talk about setting up a four by four with this system because somebody at home is going, this sounds great, Red Setter. What's it going to cost me? So if we can just go back over and talk about basically what the res is going to cost and what the pump is going to cost, we can just kind of ballpark these things and let somebody not have sticker shock. Yeah, no, no doubt. Let's do. Uh, let's start it. Let's start at the box store and go for like a, probably like a thirty-two to forty-two gallon toter or res, you know, trash can or res. You can probably get one for around fifty bucks. You got to start there um the pump that i mentioned is the next probably most expensive thing that's going to run you probably around 60 bucks um and and i would suggest probably that pump regardless um uh because it's being regulated even with a four by four um you know if you ever wanted to let's say add on a tray or not but let's say you're, you're working with a four by four tent or something um you know, somewhere around the thousand gallons per hour range. If you wanted to grab one from a hydro store, it's probably going to cost you the same amount as what you could get from Harbor Freight. So, um, you know, if you're worried about if you're worried about you know it being Harbor Freight brand and it failing or something like that, go ahead and and get you a name brand one. Um, it run generally around thousand gallons per hour is what you want. Uh, you you want some good flow. Uh, you definitely want some. I'm sorry, not you want some good pressure on on your line. So. From there, um, you might need some adapters. Um, so hit, hit the plumbing aisle and, and get something that goes from uh, whatever kind of style thread your pump has down to like a half inch line. You want to run your half inch line um, out to out to your your tray, out to your four by four. So uh, what I do is I drill directly into the side of my half inch line. Uh, for my anti-siphon, uh, right, you know, I'll put a little uh, half-inch hole at the top of my res. That way, I can close the lid, and, and not pests or mosquitoes or larvae or anything in your res. Um, so I put a little half-inch hole in the side of the res, out towards the top, and I run my half-inch half-inch line out that. So right around where that hole is is where I put a hole in my half-inch line and anchor in at elbow. And make sure you anchor it in there good. Turn on your res or turn on your pump. Make sure that you got a good flow. Kick off your pump. Make sure that it siphon stops the whole nine. Um, so anyway, from there, you know, run run your line out to your four by four. Um, and you could just run your uh, your half inch line. You know, do a closed loop around your four by four. Get a couple couple half inch elbows and and use the uh, um, poly line. Um, I recommend using black poly if you're going to do anything because uh if you use clear or white or anything like that it's, you're just going to deal with algae in your lines uh same i mean you'll probably eventually deal with it with pvc but you could use the i think electrical conduit is uv resistant so you could use the gray pvc and that might help dealing with any algae in your lines <clears throat> just clean them often you're always going to have to do that um so anyways, octobubblers, they're about 10 bucks a piece. 
Uh, if you're running a four by four, let's say uh, you can go, most people are generally running somewhere from four to 12 plants in a four by four. So get yourself probably, I would suggest three octobubblers just in case you're going to run 12 plants um, and you want to have a couple lines just for, for spares. But uh, that's going to, that'll give you at least two lines per plant. Three octobubblers, the three. I'm sorry, eight lines will come off of each octobubbler. I should mention that. Um, now, if you're not dealing with, uh, if you're not using a pressure regulator, let's say you don't use that Mr. Dripper, Mr. I'm sorry, Mr. Landscaper drip emitter. You don't go to Lowe's. You don't use those, those parts and you don't use their pressure regulator. That's totally cool. Keep the diaphragm inside of the, uh, the octobubbler. At that point, you're going to need some kind of pressure regulation. Um, so you can get a couple different types of octobubblers that have different pressure regulate pressure regulators. Um, so it, it's all again probably going to vary on on your pot size and how much spread, how much spray you're going to be getting off of uh, your drip emitters or your misters. But that might be something that the uh, the hydro store guy could probably help you. Out. Um, so, anyways. So let's say you you are doing open flow, and you're using uh you're using a pressure regulator at your pump, and you got two drip emitters on each on each plant, and let's say that you're doing four plants per tray, and you're in a five gallon pot, which is pretty much my setup. Um, I have a timer that that allows you to go down to the single second. Um, you might have to source these online somewhere for a while. They were incredibly difficult to find. Uh, most timers only go down to the minute, um, especially the hydro store timers. Um, those ones you can program, you know, one minute, two minute, whatever. Um, but these ones you can actually program down. Like I said, you know, I do 25 second. And then by the time I'm done with flowering, I'm up to about a minute 15 every you know that's four times four or five times a day um uh, with no runoff so i'm calculating i'm going through close to 100 gallons on 12 to 18 plants i'm gonna i'm sorry i'm jumping over on this but i'm gonna calculate on my 100 gallon res um in my like let's just say 18 plants on 100 gallon res i drain it in about six days and that's it at about a What's their, they're getting about six minutes a day. So probably about 10 gallons a day, something like that. 10, 15 gallons a day, something like that. Sequence, how much do you use a day? About three quarters of a gallon per plant times eight. Yeah, I was just going to say mine's somewhere around a gallon a plant, I'd, I'd say. In, 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 in my head real fast doing that math, I think. Yeah, so for eight plants, I'm using six gallons per day. Right on. But that's hand watering, one watering per day. That's not automated. I mean, I'm looking up the prices. I pulled up this pump on Harbor Freight, the one you're talking about. 1,600 yeah. gallons per hour, one-sixth horsepower, quarter inch, drains down to a quarter inch. Awesome pump, 65 bucks. I'm in. I'm, yeah, I've been pricing out. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry for cutting you off. Twenty uh, percent off coupons all the time. So you know, save those things. You, you get them in the yeah, mail. Yeah. Remember, you know, they always give them to you. 
Yeah, but I was looking up the prices of like drain trays because I want to put a setup like this in my veg tent. And I'm, I have an always varying amount of plants in my veg tent. So I wanted to do an automated watering system with, uh, with a drain tray. But these damn drain trays seem so expensive. Do you have any advice for somebody looking for a 4x4 drain tray or a 5x5 drain tray? Or do you just have to go to a hydro store and Man, I pay 100 you. bucks? Yeah, you want to know the cheap cheap route? If if it'll fit in your tent, kiddie pool. Um, you might you know there you could probably get the four foot diameter, five foot diameter kiddie pool, um, and then be able to get yourself like a four by four, three by three spread on the inside. But for the longest time, that's what I was doing. All my four by four sections was on kiddie pools. Now I just use a single saucer and a riser. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm doing very minimal waste, so I'm hoping that that I'm not getting a lot of runoff to have to clean up and uh, and ship out of the room. So I'm I'm just using you know just single saucers and risers, but even then, way more expensive than a kiddie pool because your saucers are six bucks, your risers are three bucks. You know, there's almost right, 40, right. forty bucks right there. So I'm not hip to the risers, man. I have all the saucers, but I don't know what a riser is. So th these these risers and they may be they may have a different use uh, from what my experience is, but they're usually in the same uh, section of the hydro store as the 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 saucers or the trays, the round trays, um, not your four by four trays, but your round trays. And what they are is it's almost like a mesh. Uh, they're plastic and it's almost like a like a very large, almost like an egg crate or milk crate uh, mesh on top, flat round on top, and they come in varying sizes depending on probably pot size. And, and they almost fit uh, the diameter of the saucers, and they, they, they're risen up. They got little legs. They're, they're pretty cool, yeah. And a half, you know, yeah, they keep your plant off the concrete, off the ground, off the saucer, and out of the, the, out of the runoff. Right on, dude. You just taught me something new. I didn't even know those existed. They don't have those at my grow store. And you know what? I even used to use them. I, I still grow with uh, in my um, in the home grow. I still use uh, four by four trays. And you know, I don't have um, I don't have uh, any any way of uh, draining those. Those are pretty much on the ground. Uh, you know, there's no they're not piped. You know, there's no uh, no drain lines or anything. So every so often, those would get a little bit of, of runoff in them. And if I couldn't get to them in a couple of days, you know, the runoff would sit and the plants would just be wicking up their own runoff. Uh, so I would actually use the risers in the grow trays as well. So they're not just for single saucers. I mean, they can be used just to, if you need to get your plant up out of some, out of some uh, runoff too, and just use those. They're about two bucks a piece, you know, for about a 13 inch uh wide saucer and those fit my five gallons perfectly pro tips yeah so awesome good to know and don't get the ten dollar risers they have them for two dollars three dollars i've seen them for ten don't get those same thing i feel like i'm going to save a lot of time in my life by going to automated watering from what i'm doing right now and hand watering every single day oh man i, I <laughs> totally will i i still hand water i hand water vet um so i i i still veg um uh <clears throat> let me think here i still veg under t5s um i'm still kind of doing all my old school habits with vegging uh i still veg um you know in a different 
facility, then I flower, and then we we cart plants out there where we actually uh, do what I call like a a a final veg, if you will, like the the last like couple weeks of veg where they actually get their new shoes and you know get get transplanted into a bigger pot and everything, and then they they're under metal for a couple of weeks and uh it's all automated they get used to the automated systems and everything out there and uh and and then they go in so when i pre-veg i'm all, i'm just uh hand water you know when clone phase whether i'm using an oxycloner and or and uh or uh <laughs> i mean even if uh and i'm sorry clone phase i usually use an oxycloner but if i happen to be using rocking if I happen to be using rock wool, I hand water that as well. I don't have any kind of recirculating or automated systems. I used to, and it worked great. I was able to go out of town and not have any issues with it. But, uh, you know, over time, it's almost like, uh, like I said, when you got, when you're running a lot of different life cycles, different lifetimes and things like that, it, it it's hard dialing in those those feed times and those feed amounts without having excessive runoff where you're constantly mopping up or vacuuming out, you know, buckets of runoff. So I just decided to switch to hand watering for the time being until I can really dial it in. Right. Right. That makes sense. Um, Hopefully in my veg, my plants will all be about the same size. My recommendation is to have, it, it, you can utilize one res, but you might want to utilize pump. And that same company that I suggested, let me suggest a company out to uh, your listeners. The uh, Nearpow is the company of timer that I use. And I get that off of Amazon. And that's that timer that goes down to the single second. And if you do want to use multiple pumps and have multiple, uh, um, let's say runs let's say you're doing like a vertical veg or something you got a, a stack uh stack shelves for your veg and you know um your, your your bottom shelf is you know weeks one through four and your top shelf is weeks four through eight you know you're going to need uh more time feeding your top shelf than you are your bottom shelf so you might want two pumps in your res well that near power company actually makes a timer that has dual outlets with dual timing functions, which is kind of nice too. So you only need to spend money on one timer if you're going to go that route. So, but sequence, that's maybe what I would suggest is uh, if you're going to have those different life cycles and that's what I'm going to do. Um, I, I tossed around the idea of probably doing, possibly doing a recirculating, but I think if I do recirculating, it's only going to be for clones and rock wool and keeping them alive. Well, the other idea I was playing with was a flood drain table with uh, the container sitting on that. Yeah, like a like an ebb and flow type system. Yeah, yeah, ebb and flow. Like a wicking, like a wicking system, or you are using fabric pots, correct? For this, you would use fabric. So, if you had fabric sitting on a drain table and used an ebb and flow, and filled it for you know a couple of minutes you know, twice a day or something, I bet they would do pretty well. I think they would. Um, you know, in my experience, I think that you really need to have a good established root zone uh, within your pot if you're going to do that. You know, you probably don't want to try doing any kind of wicking techniques if you got like a fresh clone and a ton of media because you're, you're probably going to over... They say you can't oversaturate cocoa, but man, I've oversaturated cocoa. It's, it's possible. If you don't have enough root, 
root uh mass filling up your your cocoa space you can totally kill it kill it out fast or you're gonna have to top water you're gonna have to top water and do it slow at first yeah until you can really really get them things up or really dial in dial in your technique i say anything's possible you just really have to dial in your technique um you know all all of those everybody who suggests all of these growing styles has clearly had success they wouldn't have like you know written books on it i'd imagine if they didn't have some kind of success on it and you know and it always seems to fail you know when you try it yourself so <laughs> you know every single time you want to try something yourself it's like man it just doesn't work for me but you know that's because you probably are in a different environment or there's probably some nuance of their style that they're just they don't know and they're so they can't explain it you know and so you know that's just why why you can't get it right or for whatever reason but anyway yeah that that when you read a book and try to replicate the results of someone that's an expert in their own uh method it's really really difficult yeah you know thanks for youtube i guess because it's it's a little bit easier being able to uh kind of watch somebody do it hands-on i i'm definitely a proponent i've got the ed rosenthal uh and you know uh and of course most recently uh i'm trying to get into the teaming with series of course the teaming with microbes series so just got to get cracking into it but yeah that's not light reading though man that's i've had that book for a few months i've actually got all three in an epub and it's just like woof. it's tough to get through it's great stuff, man. I went to the Regen conference. I, I dig it. I'm, I'm into it. I, I really. I've like, seen you. Uh, you've seen uh, Kevin Jodry. I, I saw Kevin Jodry. Um, I love listening to Kevin Jodry talk. The man is just endless book of fascinating knowledge that I love listening to. So, yeah, totally. I'm, it was. He's I'm glad he's on. A lot of material out. A lot of material, and that was. Uh, you know you try to soak it all up like a sponge and i i wish i could repeat most of that stuff uh verbatim but you know i I took as best notes as i could also i felt like i was in a college lecture uh when i was at that at that seminar but it was some of the best stuff ever man and it was just mind-blowing information that uh, that you were able to just soak up i had been trying to to grasp organics in a nutshell for you know probably the last decade and you know i i hear these guys at the hydro shop talk all these words all the time and i couldn't put them all together until i really sat down and i probably read the first chapter of teaming with microbes and then went to that region so those two things combined really put it all together i would like to say that coming from a i totally respect them and it's very difficult to successfully grow organics it really is yeah, it's sometimes you think, well, I just have to get out of the plant's way, but that's not really the situation. You had to set up the parameters for it to be successful in the first place. Yeah, yeah you really do. And you really have to be paying attention to every minute detail that's going on through that plant's life cycle. Also, you know, with synthetics, I don't want to say that you have leeway because if, if you spot a problem, it's almost, you know, whether you're in organics or it's in synthetics, it doesn't matter. If you spot a problem, sometimes it's already too late and you can't really go back. But, you know, fortunately with synthetics, if I see that I have a problem, I do have that option to like flush, lower my PPMs, 
kind of revert, recycle, get back to zero. You can't do that in organic. If you flush your organics, you're like you're gonna drown out everything that's going on in your soil. You're gonna you're gonna kill it. You know, synthetic is so much easier than organic, in my opinion. That you can almost use the analogy that synthetic is a lot like photo periods, and organic is a lot like autoflowers. With your organic soil, you're basically stuck with it. You know, you got to top dress and then wait, similar to your autoflower. And then with your uh, your photo period, you can mess with it a lot more like we get to do with our synthetic nutrients. Oh, man, I can't wait until next summer because I'm going to, it's going to be the ultimate test is organically growing autoflower because I'm definitely growing autoflowers next summer. I did a lot. Yeah, of I'm doing it too. It's awesome. Oh man, and I and I hope uh, hope I can find some some good genetic stuff. I really don't care if it's you know the best of the best, like high potency, flavorful stuff. As long as it it finishes well and like doesn't turn into a moldy pile of crap on me, man, I would love to attempt some autoflowers because I think that that's what's needed if you're gonna grow outdoors in Michigan. I hate in I'm sorry if you're going to grow outdoors in Michigan and not have like some kind of a cover or a canopy or a heater or something in your outdoor garden. You know what happens every Halloween, man? Every Halloween people are like, "Oh, I think I can get another week out of it." Nope, you lost the whole harvest fucking around. Oh, dude, because it rains that entire week and and you never get a chance to actually cut your plants down and that's exactly when they're when they're best too you got to take them that extra couple of days that extra couple of weeks and 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 so i think that if you want ripe if you want good buds i could probably go out there and i could probably pull some stuff now but it would be four weeks early you know what i mean i don't want that you know, and almost now is about the time you're going to want to pull. Who knows how September is going to be? It's it's hurricane season now. It's about to be tons of rain, and where plants are just asking to get swollen with uh, with rainwater. You know, even with uh, a cover, there's so much dew every morning that they might as well have gotten rained on. I've got some outdoor photo periods this year, so the um, the indoor versions of the same plants went 63 days. So we'll see. Wow, nice, nice. You know, and I was I was thinking about that. Speaking of time, you know, we as indoor growers, we really stick to that. Day one is day one of flower. But, you know, when when do you consider day one it, outdoors? And so, so it takes like outdoors. You have no choice but to go by the plant morphology, right? Exactly. So you right. just looking when you get pistols. Yep. And then indoors, you just count from when you switch your lights over. Easy right. peasy. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's like, it, it, you, when do you start seeing change? I see change about seven, eight days into, you know, 12, 12 cycle. About seven, eight days, I'm starting to really see, really see uh, uh, sex traits popping out. Some um, strains, yes. Some strains, no. Are you seeing them a little bit later or earlier? Sometimes say, later. Usually, usually a little bit earlier for me. Interesting. Those do they finish earlier when you see them earlier, or do they? Well, you um, sativa leaning. So this is interesting. My crescendo, which is a sativa leaning strain, it goes nine to ten weeks. That was the one that went sixty-three days. Um, actually, started flowering fairly early outdoors, like when there was like maybe fourteen hours of sunlight outdoors. So I'm curious if it's going to finish earlier since it started so early. It's kind of an interesting phenomenon. That's a yeah, cool I, trait. 
I've thought about that too because I came across uh I was running some of these uh they're by finest ca- finest cannabis uh PB souffle. I had a, a couple females of that and one of them had like a crown on day seven. I mean, it had a, a full head of hairs, you know, and it was like day seven, day 10, something like that. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if this is going to be an early finisher, but I'm I also, actually, you know, I actually have that. And I have to agree. You're talking about the Canarado, the finest one. The, yeah, you know, I just finished that and pulled it down and yeah, it didn't take that long to flower that one at all. No, it really didn't. And I was, in my mind, I was thinking, all right, this could go one of two ways. This could be like a 10-weeker a for some reason it, because, you know, in, in its mind, it needs that extra uh, elongated flowering time, so it's going to pop pistols really early, you know. So it was, it, it was kind of fun to watch, kind of fun to grow, but it definitely densed out a lot faster than everything else. And, you know, y- you can tell. You can tell when they're going to finish early. That's what I was going to say, too, is yeah. the super denseness right out of the gates. It starts right of off and gate, stays that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, and you know the pistols are going to start changing, and it's like day 35, and you're like, oh, yeah, this thing's done. Uh, it's got like three, maybe four weeks left, you know. I, I do consider buds to be ripe in that, like, five-week range, you know, and I know we, we definitely take them back. We I take my, my plants to, like, eight, nine. I'm a 63, 63 days for the most part, um, even though some of them tend to maybe appear to ripen a little earlier because I'm doing multi-strain. I definitely want to flush everything at the same, same rate and, and, you know, have all of that. I don't want it. I don't want to just pull it while I'm still feeding it, you know, you know, newts and stuff like that. So I, some of the, the stuff that might finish earlier, which is pretty indica. Your blueberry has um, yeah. got to finish it about 53 days, doesn't it? It finishes probably around 56, 57 in, 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 in the way that I run it because I do run it a little the blueberries when, the same deal with that granddaddy too i've noticed where i gotta run it lower uh it likes to stagger its stacking when given highlighting it looks like it's stressing out when i did gdp i think i took it 67 and it really put on a lot of weight that last little bit they do they do if you take those indicas that finish really early if you take them a little bit later they put on a lot of weight that's not why i do it i do it for the medical effect it, they really um I think that if you're going to grow uh, an, an, an indica type plant, you know, you're wanting that sedating feeling in the first place. So I, I make sure that they, they have that effect by taking them that extra little bit, maybe get a little couple little amber trichomes on there, making sure, you know, you're getting that good ripe flower. Man, when I started growing, I could kick myself now because I had old people tell me, oh, you got to wait till the plant's like 50% amber. And I'm like, holy shit, these plants are not even close to done. You know, they would just like stall out at like 15% and uh, maybe 20% amber. And, you know, you're waiting, waiting, waiting. You're like, dude, I've been taking this plant like 84 fucking days, man. It's a little bit long. Nope, let it go. That's crazy. It's usually the guys that are like, you got to wait until all of the hairs turn brown before you can. Yes. Yeah, seriously. Then you're like, okay, I'm growing OG and it never stops throwing hairs all the way through flower. They just keep throwing, th- keep throwing pistols and foxtails. Yeah, I can scope it, and it's thirty percent amber, and it's still going to be throwing white pistols. Goddamn, bro, so, science. Yeah, don't believe all the bro science out there. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, that was definitely the original uh, 
true tell sign of when to harvest you know was uh oh go by the hairs it's 70 percent of your hairs red that's <laughs> dude that's why we took forever to grow shit back in the early fucking days of this thing and everything put you to sleep oh dude i'll put you to sleep yeah i i really miss the stuff that was going around back uh when i was uh you know <laughs> in high school i'd say you know those days you know the heady stuff man we had some good heady uh it was definitely mexican brickweed um was it the downtown julie brown oh yeah man downtown brown uh we were joining livernoy picking up our stash be Uh, the change you want to see in the world red setter grow your own mexican dirt weed all right I Make still, sure when you pack it, you pack it full of seeds in the very center of it with like four or five hundred seeds just to get that weight up. Every so often, every so often, if I have a terrible stash, I like to just smoke it and try it <laughs> and make sure that make sure that it's uh, stick sticking to my roots, you know, testing, really testing. You, have you like to test. try it to make sure that you're still above baseline, right? That's what I like to do. Baseline. Man. No yeah. boof here, baby. <laughs> Hey, Hashtag only what, mids. It, when you grow your own stash, it doesn't matter how bad it is, you're getting high off of that stuff. You know why? Because correct. It, it's true because it's been really bad before, and it still got me been, there. And it's still not been shipped over a border and hasn't been stuffed into whatever kind of container so that it it you know mixed with what you know jelly substance or whatever the heck they spray it down with Windex to add weight or whatever they're doing to it. You know. It, we dealt with a lot of uh oh man it sounded like a dare class weed man (laughs) nancy reagan's definitely clapping i didn't didn't hear that one i didn't hear that one dare i heard that one from some guys that used to tell me that that's what they would do in the hood is dump you know uh, because it didn't evaporate had nothing to do with getting you high it all had to do with the weight lemon og spray it with pledge they they would spray it with they would spray it with stuff and they would spray it with stuff to get it to weigh down so that it wouldn't evaporate and uh you know you get a pound and you turn into two pounds out and oh man that was just in the back of my mind all the time whenever i'd i'd be dealing with that crap (laughs) yeah pass on that i'm really glad to be a, a home caregiver like yourself helping people changing their own little worlds one person at a time that that terrible product and people going to detroit to get it is kind of what started me we'll we'll say caregiving you know even before i was a caregiver and you know i would just go down and i would get a i would get a bag and i would just split it with my buddies and 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 with my friends because it was it, it was a lot easier for one person to go and get a big stash than for a bunch of people going down multiple times you know and it was just easier that way on a lot of people so it, as a caregiver i would say i've i've been uh, able to help a lot of people in a lot of different ways um but these days it's definitely more for medicinal purposes um uh, and i still of course love to share just and and be able to provide cannabis for those that just need cannabis Oh, I want to jump off of that real quick is you have mentioned that you grow Death Star and you've mentioned that you grow the Granddaddy Purple. Can you run us through what other uh, cuts you're holding on to right now or what you're going to experiment with in the upcoming months? Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, so I've held on to Apollo 13 for a really long time. 
Uh, it's a little more unique than a lot of the flavors that have been going around. Actually, I'd consider, uh, I don't really have anything gassy. Uh, I had Wi-Fi OG for a while, uh, maybe maybe a year or two. I held on to Wi-Fi OG. And I did go through a run where I, I tried like all the OG. So I went to the clone shop and I got Fire OG, True OG, Ghost OG, and San Fernando Valley OG and tried running them all find out they were all pretty much the same and i think i stuck with like true og for a little while but man the stretch on those things was terrible um you know you're getting these tiny nugs granted everything was fire and it was great smoke um but as far as what my patients wanted they were they were finding you know better quality in, in some of the other things that i could provide and for what it was worth it was you know, the OGs just just weren't there. And, you know, maybe I didn't know how to grow them at the time. Um, you know, I, I didn't have, maybe I didn't have as tall enough ceilings for the height that they get, something like that. Um, you know, we'll see. Maybe I'll try to get back into uh, something uh, nowadays because, you know, a lot of the stuff that I'm running through right now, I'm finding is really gassy. Um, I'm testing uh, Rainbow Drive right now. Uh, you know some of these archive genetic they're really gassy um i'm noticing that some of the stuff that canarado's putting up, that stuff's got um kind of some cookies leaning aspects to it so i'm finding a lot of these familiar similar flavors um so right now what i've had on deck for the last few years have been uh the granddaddy the death star the apollo 13 and what's new in stock as of recently is the Rosaberry. The DJ Short Blueberry is a new hunt that I just, uh, within the last year, came across. And I think I got myself a flavorful keeper. I think I'm still going to slowly uh, hunt through a couple of his packs. Um, but I, I got something that I like right now. I, I think I need to learn how to dial. But I like where the blueberries And then if you go into my test room right now i'm uh getting ready to flower some strawberries and cream by exotics a citrique by exotics which is i think part of their lemon lime line and uh and then i want to say i have dozy dough by archive in there and hazmat og by archive um man just okay so basically just some archive Canarado exotics some straight fire <laughs> straight fire man you know a lot of the hype stuff really right now is uh pretty much what i'm going through if i went into my seed bank it's it's a lot of the hype strains that have been released in the last uh 12 months have you uh, found any issues with the hype strains as far as like it's great smoke it looks great on camera but the yield's not there is that where you're trying to dial things in um i haven't I haven't had a chance to really take them out to uh, my pro my production rooms yet, so I'm still doing everything really small scale. And by small scale, I'm still keeping it. I'm I kind of stress them. I kind of want to see you know what they're gonna do under certain stresses, and if they're hermaphroditing, I'm getting rid of them. Um, so you know, I'm keeping them in small pot. I'm keeping them in small containers, and I'm kind of keeping the plant small in general. But what I am seeing is on like the archive, you know, on small plants, 
if I'm seeing towering nugs and just like real good dense colas and stuff, I'm looking at that for a keeper as well. So, I mean, I'm still able to pheno hunt small, plants, you know, and I'm still able to identify yield based on a small plant, you know, in comparison to what's next to it and, uh, or it's, uh, partnering, uh, phenotype, you know? So, um, I would say, I would say as far as the yields go, the ones that are, the ones that are kind of like, yeah, they're a little bit, they're a little bit lower maybe on the yield. I don't think that like they got that, the density that's there, but the flavor is there and the fruit is there and the orange is there. And it's amazing where these flavors are going. And I mean, I know I know that I have sort of a larger base to fill, but I don't mind these plants that don't get as big because I'm kind of a I'm more of like I like the craft flavors. I want to grow something that's uh you know, I don't want it all to just be blue dream and I don't want it to be uh green For sure. And, yeah, you know I definitely I mean? agree with so, you. I'm, I hold on. And that's that grape. Eight. I'm sorry. I, I totally spaced out on, on my grape ape, man. I've had that grape ape since like day one. The grape ape is uh, rarely around. It comes around maybe three, four times a year. I'm trying to get it into, into cycle a little bit more often. Um, the reason that I can't is because it veges so slow. I've heard that the Mac veges really slow. Uh, I'd imagine that. Um, you could compare this to that. Um, if not, maybe slower. Um, it so to hold a mom that veges really slow, you almost have to hold two. And for plant count, you're not going to hold two moms, you know. So it rarely comes around. And when it does, it takes so long to veg that by the time it's near waist high, you toss it in the bloom room, and it stays near waist high. So you definitely need to get that extra, you know, six, eight, 12 weeks of veg, 14 weeks of veg. And with those kind of plants, you know, if you put it in new shoes too early, you're going to get salt buildup, you know, things like that. So you, you got to know how to, how to run those, those slower growing plants. But if you can do it and then you can get a, even a small yield, I think it's worth it because it's low THC, but it's still my most, you know, asked about strain. You know, when is the great when is the grape ape going to be ready? You know, I'm, I get that very often. It's a very prized prized strain in my eyes. I love it. When I started growing seven years ago, and I used to really suffer from insomnia before I could get my first harvest in, I would sit up and and look online and just go through like a website and just look at every single strain and. Bar none, you could not find grape ape seeds seven, six, seven years ago. You just, you would go to a site, they would say they have grape ape sold out. And it's like, it's perpetually sold out all the time. But uh, that's great, man. You're holding on to some really good legacy cuts. And I, you know, when you get them from a dispensary, a couple of those cuts, let's see, the grape ape was a dispensary cut. The Death Star is a dispensary cut. I would have no idea what I, it could be giving me blue dream and green crack for all i know and you know i did i smelled some other uh some other grape ape and i think what i have is uh definitely definitely the grape ape it um 
it stays short just like the description on mine it fades purple it doesn't grow purple now the granddaddy purple grows purple um you know it i love purple i love purples man can we talk about purples for a minute i want to talk about purple absolutely it's your show bro you can talk about whatever the fuck you want to i got a whole bunch of notes and i haven't even looked at any of them yet and um and so i'm gonna totally trail off this isn't even in my notes i want to talk about purples because i think that they're fascinating i've got uh, most of my plants are purple um uh a child book you know a, a seed that came from grape ape at one time many many years um i finally pheno hunted it and um i had a couple seeds from grape ape and i have no idea if it self-pollinated if it was if there was a uh, pollen in the air what what happened with it uh th- sometimes these these indica uh, these purples if you take them really late in the flower they, they have a tendency to throw bananas and that's when i know that I want to harvest them is like right before they start throwing these, you know, male sex parts, these bananas. Um, they're, they're not like hermaphroditic uh, sex organs. Like they're not like the balls and then the, and then the flower coming out of the, the bottom. They're more like, uh, I'm sure you've seen them. They're more like a, uh, a, a, a pollen uh, sack that comes right out of the top of the flower. Pretty interesting. Um, I've generally uh, seen that mostly in purples and mostly when you take them really late. Um, I've seen them in other genetics when gone really late, but purples just tend to finish a lot earlier. So they're always going late. And, uh, and what I like about purples, they don't all fade the same. So th- let me get to that. So we'll start with the grape ape. And the way that the grape ape grows is when it starts to fade, it'll stay green all the way up into probably the late, 50 uh 50 day range and then from the top down it begins to fade purple and it's a beautiful thing if you can be in your grow room once a day to watch uh it, it just uh you know by the time it gets down to the bottom you still got some green down on the bottom and when you it, you're almost wondering if some of those buds are right but uh you know in in my eyes it's almost like plucking tomatoes you know i'd like to be able to just pluck one bud at a time you know and sometimes i do harvest that way sometimes i harvest the top of the plant first and maybe a week later i'll harvest the bottom of the plant and let the bottoms kind of ripen up you know because they're all they're all green tomatoes when you harvest the top but you get that with purples you know and sometimes you want to let the purples purple out so you got to harvest the top and i think it's uh photo photo um I don't want to say photogen- photogenic for some reasons on my on my mind, but uh, for some reason I think that it has to do with the the light being on the plants. If you ever uh, have some leaves that are crisscrossing themselves, and then you move them out of the way, uh, it's almost like the anisocyanins aren't coming up to the leaf surface uh, because you'll get like a leaf pattern that'll be green across your leaves and it's kind of i agree with this by the way my purple plants are purple on one side and green on the other side like away from the light yeah it's it's a really cool it's um you know and in uh so it's got to be something to do with uh you know the way that that chlorophyll is uh man i'm at a loss for words right now i'm sorry um I'll help you out. One of the things that I can say about the purple plants is I grew out some ninja fruit by Dojo Seeds. And there are two phenotypes on that. There's the green pheno, and then there's the purple pheno. 
It has nothing to do with the temperatures in the grow room. It just has to do with the genetics. Um, I was running the second edition, the back cross that he did on it. And I had, let me see, I flowered out five of them and four of them were the purple leaners. One was the green leaner and one of the purples was like black. It was awesome, man. Beautiful plant. That was the other style of purple that I wanted to get to totally was that black style because it, it comes out of the gates um, with with like almost black leaves, black leaves, um, like the tips of them will be green, but back towards where the uh, where the crown is starting and even the crown and all the bracts and all of the uh, the bud, you know matter is is totally black it's like beautiful and and the difference between that i think and like the granddaddy that goes purple because the granddaddy also grows purple bracts right out of the gate but the leaves stay green throughout the whole the whole flowering process until the end when it then the leaves will fade purple but it does that thing where uh where if the leaves are shading themselves they'll the anisinathans won't show up so uh really cool just different different types of purples and then you have uh the argument that you always get what did you just have a magnesium deficiency is that why your plants are purple and it's like no these are genetically purple plants man these are beautiful purple plants you know and i have a couple a couple other strains that are that are totally perped out but uh these days um i'm trying to get into some different flavors just because there's just so many out there start going through it. I'm really trying to get into uh, some more citrusy. I, I've always loved the orange strains. Um, when I first got into um, my three, you know, my first grow outside of like a closet grow was um, I was growing orange jelly bean. And I don't know if you've had that, but it's almost like, uh, yes, sir. Man, is it orange? It's like a tangerine, but it's also got like this. Uh, like carpet store type of a smell i don't know i don't want to call it chemically or it's not really gassy or anything but it's just kind of like fresh carpet did you ever get agent orange back in the day i grew agent orange uh again a dispensary run and man it was a di- totally different orange than that was definitely a different orange than that um but yes yes i loved agent orange that was a nice one man that was a good head and i i, I had uh i had it collect some pollen from something so i got a couple seeds stashed around somewhere that say agent orange on the bag i'm not sure where uh where the pollen came from but dude yeah that's a good one it's a good throwback right there and i actually uh canarado a freebie from canarado i had uh super silver haze times apple juice i think one of my keepers is going to be off that freebie line because uh if i can take it out out to my other rooms and it doesn't hurt mine I think I'm going to keep it. It's got that Agent Orange smell. That orange is what I uh is what it resembles to me is the Agent Orange orange, not like the carpet store orange. <laughs> carpet store orange, that's a terrible. That's a terrible one. You know that uh, the orange cleaner. Green, it's an orange, orange cleaner. cleaner. There you go. Orange cleaner. Yeah, it's definitely more of like the chemically type of a smell to it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's definitely where orange jelly bean was. But yeah, this uh uh, I don't. I don't really know what to name it, so I'm gonna have to think about that one. I might have to 
send that one out on the Instagram and have somebody name it, or maybe Canarado will name it in his apple juice line or something. But I guess sit yeah. down and smoke a shit ton of it, and then after you've smoked more than enough, the name will come to you. Sure. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I'm always skeptical about freebies because I get I get herms in them. Uh, they're clearly you know testers and things like that, which I'm totally fine with. But you know you got to watch it. I've had I've had testers that would pass my my test room, and then I take them out to the production room, and then they herm on me. So you always got to watch it. Well, I'm hoping this one this one passes because I love that orange flavor. I really do. I really do. I miss it. Needs to be around more. Oh, hey, did you guys just see that they added another like 188 districts to our red zone list as of, I think, yesterday or two days ago? No, I did not see that. What did you see? We're at 785. Uh, There's a few dual counties. So uh, Michigan right now, for those that, that aren't in our state, listening uh we have a lot of red zone and uh it looks like another 188 just opted out as of the other day um (laughs) they're updating this list about once a month and the last time they updated it it was another couple hundred man eight mile is going to be the smoothest road in the state And Ann Arbor is going to be jumping. Ann Arbor is going to have uh, tons of money, more money than they know what to do with. It's all going to be Detroit and Ann Arbor, man. The entire, the entire scene. It's such an antiquated way to do things. You know what I mean? Like, get with the fucking times. They're just waiting to see the results, I think. And you're going to see a lot of those places turn back. And then there will be some holdouts, of course. But I think that a majority are just waiting to see. I don't want to see anybody bitching on Facebook about their roads if you basically said that you don't want it in your area. No doubt. You know, it's you know what's even worse is forty percent of that number. It roughly forty. I think they were in like some thirty percent something, close to forty percent. Um, voted yes on Prop One. Like those districts were in favor of Prop One. So something's I. Something's kind of got to be said about that. I don't think that that should be allowed. I think that when, when I, I voted yes on Prop 1, and I think that that was the necessary thing to do, but I think we, we should have taken a step back and really looked at the language and thought about it a little bit more because I'll tell you what, we totally left out a couple little nuances that probably could have helped, one of them being maybe if we're regulating it like alcohol if a township has or allows alcohol sales maybe they should also allow cannabis sales because maybe that would help would have helped out or something i'm thinking of a couple little things that could have helped out but you know what we can we can do what we can go to our uh we can we can do a petition, I suppose, which, uh, unfortunately in most of these townships, it's a little intimidating in these rural areas where, you, you know, 200 yard driveway, Confederate flags hanging out the yard. And so you don't really want to approach these, <laughs> some of these homes and ask them about growing weed down the road from them, you know? So it's, it's kind of tough when you're talking about petitioning, uh, some of this stuff and, and you're by yourself. Yeah, the door knocking campaign would definitely come to a screeching halt pretty quick. Yeah, it's 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 tough in the rural areas. 
but man, it really does suck for the, a lot of the micro businesses that want to get, that want to get rolling. Um, you know, and, and I only have a soft spot because I, uh, I purchased land and I purchased a property in a building back in 2000 and at the end of 2015, 2016, just prior to the MMFLA kicking off. And when I got this property, um, you, they didn't have any ordinances against caregiving, which was which was great because uh, other other townships said, uh, you know, even though you're a caregiver, you still only grow 12 plants in your home, uh, things like that. So, you know, sometimes even if you're a caregiver, you know, check your local ordinances, you might not be able to grow just uh, full 72 plants if you're in a residence. Uh, you might not have to be commercial. So I opted in to get a commercial building in a zone that had no ordinances on caregiving. And then the MMFLA took over and I thought, well, this is a great opportunity to get licensed. So I contacted my township and they had absolutely no interest in adopting into the MMFLA. And they wanted to see what was going to happen with Prop 1 at the time. And uh, and then Prop 1 came through and then they wanted no interest in Prop 1 either. So, uh, so then um, during this time, this is... Uh, uh, during this time, I was putting, you know, sweat equity and all of my, <laughs> you know, uh, 401k into this project um, that I really don't want to sell right now, to be honest with you. It took me like the better part of four years to put together. And most of it was, you know, blood, sweat and tears. And I did it all by myself and with a little help from, you know, my dad and, uh, and, you know, and just support from family and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's not something that I want to move on with. So I think that there's a lot of other mentalities out there that are like that, that there's a lot of people out there that are, you know, they have patients down the road from them. They don't, you know, their patients don't want to have to drive 30, 40 miles to go because their caregiver moved to a new district or something, you know? So I, I think that something, something will happen. Um, it's just going to take time. I definitely have my my I'm definitely optimistic about it. So I just wish that there was a lot more a lot more media coverage on the fact that there are, you know, 780 plus counties or townships, I'm sorry, cities that are they're not going to be part of this. And um, and even the MMFLA, they're not even adop adopting into the MMFLA. That's all I, I want to touch on that topic a little bit. Well, before we close, we definitely want to have you do some shout outs and, you know, you've sprinkled a few through here so far, and I'd also like to get a closing statement from you. Well, you know, um, I chose, I chose the setter because it's a loyal animal. And I think that that's something that we, we bring to the cannabis community. It, the, the cannabis community also needs is uh, loyalty. Um, you know, dedication, people that are, that are, not, you know, dedicated to the patients, dedicated to the plant, you know, understand the plant, understand, you know, the history of the plant and that are just, you know, loyal to, to cannabis, to especially the effects of cannabis. I mean, most importantly, I mean, we could, we could sit here and talk about terpenes and the medical effects of cannabis for hours and hours and hours. And I think that that's a, that's an amazing thing. And I think more people need to discuss. The, the medical effects of cannabis. And I think they need to do it first. Um, so, you know, um, that's definitely one of, one of the things that I would like to close on is, uh, you know, definitely be loyal to the plant, be loyal to, to your patients. Um, 
you, you know, and I definitely want to give a shout out to those that have also been loyal to us that have been loyal to, uh, that have stuck around and, uh, and been our patients for a very long time. I have, I have patients that have renewed with us multiple, multiple times. And, and that says a lot, that says a lot to, uh, you know, about them and, and them, um, caring for our products. And, you know, to me that that's, uh, it's an award in itself. So, you know, shout out to definitely all the people that support us and shout out to my mentors. Um, and, you know, including all of the YouTube people that, have, you know, have mentored me over that. But, um, you know, uh, like I said, you know, the Motortown classic guys, Delta city open guys. And, um, you know, shout out to Grow Green for hosting that Regen conference because that was amazing. I hope they do some more things like that in the future. Shout out to you, you uh, Michigan Bros Grow Show, for being out there for the cannabis industry. I think it's a great thing. You guys, uh, you guys are <clears throat> coming on as a Michigan platform, and I think that we need that. We need uh, something unique to our scene because I think that the Michigan scene is totally unique to cannabis. So. You know, we we grow different out here in Michigan, man. Great. We absolutely do. I wanted to thank you again for joining us at the Clio Cultivation Cup and uh, smoking us out, particularly myself and old man Hermit Hash. We truly had a great experience. You know, the, I want to thank you guys for welcoming me to that. Um, I'm... Similar to old man Hermit Hash, uh, I'm I'm quite a, uh, a hermit myself. You know, my uh, my best friends always telling me I need to get out more. But I spend, you know, to me gardening is therapy, um, and I spend a lot of time in my garden. You know, I I don't want to say that I suffer, but I have a lot of uh, a lot of thoughts in my head. I've had a lot of people pass pass away in my life. Um, a lot of people, you know, just my age, you know, not necessarily elders, but uh, people my age that have passed and uh, not necessarily everyone to drug use and stuff, but, uh, you know, cancer and things like that at young ages. And, and I see I see this as a medicine. No, I agree. Absolutely. I see it as a medicine, too. And um, cannabis speaks to us on a medicinal level, 100 percent. And gardening does, especially like you're saying get a connection with these plants and the ground and all that stuff I, I thank you for inviting me and that's where i was getting at man was the i felt incredibly welcomed by your group uh i am you know kind of a hermit i've got a very very small uh, group of friends that that you know i i associate with and for me to get out and associate with a bunch of strangers is completely out of my comfort zone so let me just admit to that uh, first and foremost. But I really felt comfortable with you guys, but I felt like I kind of knew you because, uh, you know, your show enables us to, you know, live chat with each other and have a smoke sesh and kind of learn a little bit about each other. And that's great. So when I got there, I kind of felt like I already, I already knew you guys. Um, I did meet Old Man Hermit Hash at a DJ Short uh, seminar, which was uh, an awesome seminar. And he and I exchanged... Uh, instagram uh information back in december and i had no idea that he was old man hermit hash until your live streams and and funny story is when i brought up rosaberry and he told me that he was there when i bought Rose 
area that really tripped me out <laughs> i was like who are you and how do you know when i what i bought you know and then i it clicked and dawned on me on who he was old man <laughs> shadow hash old man shadow hash man just coming in like a ghost and uh it yeah and so uh i'm really glad that i got to reconnect uh with him and uh, connect with you guys and i really appreciate everything you guys have brought to the community and i really appreciate you bringing me on board man thank you very much i'm looking forward to what you're going to bring to the live stream for us man you got all these untouched notes and we haven't even scratched the surface on what we could we talk haven't even about scratched the surface man i i really hope that i uh i like i said i didn't drift too much on you guys or uh or i hope i was able to uh indulge bro that's that's the show man so yeah um that I, I could totally keep going on on the hydroponics talk. So, but uh, I think that there's a lot more, a lot more to to cover. Well, so. I know that Sequence was really interested in this one because he has been hand watering his gardens for eternity now, and you know he's getting older. I'd like to you know help him out a little bit and get him more automated. And that's the thing we got to get Sequence off that hand watering because it's fun and all, and it keeps you in the garden but you want to take a break every now and then. Hey, and you know, Sequence, I know that you said that you haven't had any had any good stories about uh, leaving your garden to somebody else uh, and yeah. leaving it up. You know, fortunately, um, you know, I got to give one last shout out to my fiance because whenever I go out of town, she takes care of the garden for me and she does a fantastic man. Uh, Hell yeah. You know, so that that's the last shout out. Uh, and she's definitely, you know, uh, my my partner here at Red Setter. And, uh, you know, like I said, she's a caregiver herself. And, uh, you know, um, she takes care. Of, she takes care of it, man. She does great. She she knows how to water the plants. She knows she gets in there. She does her plants, man. And and uh, we're we're a good team together. We're a great team. We got our uh, our, our strengths and our weaknesses, and we complement each other well. So. That's for sure. So shout out to her, man. And, uh, you know, hope she listens. And uh, thank you very much for being there in the garden. Shout out to Miss Red Setter. Yeah, Miss yeah. Red Setter. Uh, we're going to figure out her name for her. She's probably going to be Mrs. Rosebud. So we get Mrs. Yeah, I hope, I hope she listens too. And it sounds like uh, she's a compliment to you the same way each of us is a compliment to our uh, panel on Sunday. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of what we were talking about with uh, Abolished. We were saying how abolished farms included Miss Cantaloupe. Abolished was him. So it's kind of like Red Setter is you, and Red Setter Farms is both of you. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yep. I'm Red. I'm Red Setter. And we are Red Setter Farms, most definitely. And on that note, you've been listening to this edition of the Michigan Bros Grow Show with Red Setter Farms.